I will be reading from Acts 9, 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. As they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered him, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And, he, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Uh, the Word of God. Let us pray. God, grateful we are that you keep showing up. Keep showing up in the special days, in the wonderful days, the amazing days, but also in the everyday days, the days where we need you, and we need to seek you, and we need to follow you. Lord, we pray as Paul 
experience you in powerful ways. May we be open to receiving you in powerful ways as well. Be in this hour with us, we pray. Amen. You know, as I look out and see the choir scattered uh, about the meeting house, I, I can't help on a Mother's Day to remember me sitting at Steel Lake Presbyterian Church in the front row every Sunday. Why? Because my dad was head usher, which meant he was in the back of the church. My mom sang in the choir, which meant she was in the front of the church. We were surrounded. My dad would load us up with lifesavers. I still like lifesavers for that very reason, and they get me through some services at times. But my mother would pay attention from the choir loft, and if we started to misbehave, it was not beneath him, beneath her, to come out of the choir loft and set us straight. It embarrassed her, but she was diligent in making sure we acted correctly. I'll forever be grateful to my mother for the ways that she helped me see the straight and narrow and helped me understand life in powerful ways. And I miss her every day. How many of you remember the movie Trains, Planes, and Automobiles? Remember that? Steve uh, Martin and John Candy. Steve Martin was a businessman that uh, was diligently trying to get home for Thanksgiving and all kinds of things got in his way. At one point, he teams up with John Candy and they rent this car and they're going to drive their way back across the country to get home in time for Thanksgiving. You might remember this scene. Late in the night, they had stopped for gas and getting back on the freeway, they got back on the freeway and they were literally against traffic heading down the freeway at 70 miles an hour. At one point, another car pulls up alongside them and says, you're going the wrong direction. And they're like, what? You're going the wrong direction. And they're like, what? And they turn to each other and go, they think we're going the wrong direction. And like, Steve Martin turns to John Kenny and says, how would they know which way we're going? <laughs> right. Okay, thanks. And they just kept barreling down the freeway towards traffic. And of course, there's that great scene where they slide between two semis, see their life flash between their eyes, before their eyes. Not quite as dramatic as that. On the way home from a Tijuana, Mexico mission trip with students in vans, we uh, got on the freeway after a late night stop and the person who was supposed to be in charge of directions decided that they would fall asleep a bit. So sleeping and not paying attention, both vans got on the freeway and started headed back towards Mexico. I woke up about an hour later and I'm looking out the window. Wait a minute, where are we going? We're going home. I go, not this direction, we're not. So two hours later, we turned around, got back to where we had started and headed home. It's, it's easy to get turned around. It's easy for us to be finding ourselves not heading in the direction we would like to go, that we are called to go. The Apostle Paul, in our passage today, was sure he was going in the right direction until Jesus made it clear he was not. Perhaps the most significant transformational story in the Bible, this story about 
Saul becoming Paul. Maybe the greatest transformational story in all Christian history is this story about a man who was certain he was headed in the right direction and he was not. As one commentary stated, the most important event in human history, apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is the conversion to Christianity of Saul of Tarsus. If Saul had remained a Jewish rabbi, we would be missing 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament and Christianity's early major expansion to the Gentiles altogether. Humanly speaking, without Paul, Christianity would probably be just an interesting historical fact. Kind of like the Dead Sea Scrolls community or the Samaritans. Paul's story is one most of us have heard if we've been around church if any length of time. We've heard of this dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we know that Saul is introduced to us as the man holding the coats of those who stoned one of the very first followers of Jesus, Stephen. Today, our text reminds us that Saul was breathing threats and murder against the people of the way. The way which was what the early Christian movement called themselves. And he was holding warrants for their arrests. We hear the story and we think, what a transformation. What a change from a passionate enemy of Jesus to one of his greatest advocates in history. Saul was a Jew. So Saul would have been a man after God's own heart. He was a teacher of Judaism. Later in Acts, Saul makes his position clear as he declares to the Jewish council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Later in his letter to the church in Philippi, Saul would describe himself as circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. He grew up in a Pharisee's home. He was taught the life of being a Pharisee as a child of a Pharisee. And as he got older, he was trained by one of the great Jewish teachers of his day. Well, he had to be on the right path. He had to be headed in the right direction, right? Saul knew all the laws and ordinances of Judaism. Saul was considered among the most righteous of the righteous, and he was on a mission for God. There was one problem, though. Saul may have been on a mission for God, but he didn't know the God whose mission he was on. As righteous as he was, here was a person who needed to wake up and realize he was going the wrong way, regardless of how certain he was of his direction. 
The wake-up call Saul would receive would come in an encounter with the risen Jesus on his way to do God's will. Saul, a passionate and arrogant man, was headed to Damascus with arrest warrants for Christians. Suddenly, the scripture tells us, a flash of light knocks him down and a question from the heavens asks, why do you persecute me? And when Saul asked who was speaking, the voice replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. How can that be? Jesus, God, all of what has been said, all of what I'm fighting against, I'm wrong. The King James Version of the Bible and the New King James Version of the Bible include a little phrase in our passage. It says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So that made it clear. In an instant, everything that Saul thought and believed was turned upside down. And he realized that he wasn't actually doing what God wanted him to do after all. As much as he longed for what he was doing to please God, God was not pleased. Jesus said Saul was kicking against the goads. What does this mean? Most of us are unfamiliar with goads. Today we call them prods. Before batteries, a goad was a long, sharp, and pointed stick used to motivate cattle. Jesus told Saul he was resisting God's prodding, helping him get back on task, focused in the right direction. God was at work trying to help redirect Saul, and Saul was pushing back. He was certain that what he believed, what he knew, the direction he was going was honoring God, and yet it wasn't. As much as he longed for what he was doing to please God, God was not pleased. So what was so wrong with Saul's life that God would try so hard to get his attention? Well, first, there was a problem with where Saul had placed his faith. Saul had faith in his religion, but it didn't bring him any closer to a relationship with God. Saul had inherited a religion. It was procedures practiced diligently, but it wasn't personal. Of course, much about inherited faith is deep and meaningful. We experienced it here with baptism. The traditions of those who have gone before us are beautiful and helpful and profoundly moving. Tradition is a good thing, but too often we become defined by those rules, regulations, and activities of religion and find ourselves removed from the work of the Spirit and the relationship that it's motivating us to experience, to go deeper with, to follow. We share communion one with another, not to check a spiritual practice box, but to point us back again to the person of Jesus. 
As we did today, we practice baptism, not to solidify God's favor, but to remind us of God's blessings and faithfulness. Following tradition as a means unto itself fails to remember the point of religion, which is to lead us, to direct us, to call us to a profound, intimate relationship with God. How many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? If you're charismatic, it only takes one because your hands are already in the air. If you're Pentecostal, it takes 10. One to change the bulb and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. If you're Presbyterians, none. Lights go on or off at predestined times. If you're Roman Catholic, again, none, candles only. Baptists, at least 15. One to change the light bulb, three committees to approve the change and decide who brings the potato salad and fried chicken. Episcopalians, three. One to call the electrician, one to offer beverages, and one to talk about how much better it was with the old one. Methodists, undetermined amount. Whether your light is bright, dull, or completely out, you're still loved. You can be a light bulb, a turnip bulb, or a tulip bulb. Bring a bulb of your choice to the Sunday lighting service and covered dish to pass. Lutherans, none. Lutherans don't believe in change. Amish, what's a light bulb? We laugh, but inside some of those laughter is like, huh? Our religion guides us in certain ways. Our religion determines the direction we're going. When rules and regulations define our religion rather than lead us into a deeper relationship with God, they have missed the point. It's what happened to Paul. Paul had rules and regulations, but he didn't have the relationship that God longed for him to have. And so Saul needed to wake up to turn around and follow God, follow Jesus. Friends, it's essential that we know and follow Jesus. If we continue believing that Christianity means just going to church two Sundays a month, learning all the proper hymns, praying the right prayers, and standing for the right things, we fail as Jesus' followers. If those paying attention equate being a follower of Jesus with just being against or for many things, then we have, again, fallen short. We don't want our children or anyone else to just inherit a religion. We want them to meet Jesus, don't we? Saul had religion, but was missing that relationship with God. Again, Saul needed to wake up and to turn around because he was trying to do the work of God, but he wasn't following the will of God. Saul thought the people of the way were a threat to his religion, and they were. And they needed to be dealt with, Paul believed, much like Moses and Joshua dealt with the people in the promised land. 
Can you imagine what a surprise it was for Saul? Saul believed he was doing God's work only to discover that he was entirely out of God's will. So if the truth of one's religion keeps them from doing the loving thing for those Jesus lived, died, and rose again for, then the religion is off the path and heading in the wrong direction. And we need to, if it applies to us, to turn back around. Saul had been blinded by his zeal, by his passion, by his anger, and perhaps even by his hatred. Saul needed to lose his physical sight so that he might discover just how blind he was spiritually. If our truth or traditions define our faith, without a personal relationship with God to guide them, one would be confident that they are going in the right direction, yet all the while accelerating, potentially in the opposite direction. An old farmer liked to brag that he could command his mule with nothing more than a few soft words, no whips or prods necessary. Of course, people were skeptical so one day he was asked for a demonstration. Prove to me that that old mule of yours will respond to nothing more than just gentle language. Out in the field, the farmer, his neighbors, and the mule, the farmer took a big stick and hit the mule right on the ear. When the animal stopped braying and bellowing and prancing around, the farmer said quietly, Come here. And the mule came. Sit. And the whimpering creature backed up. It backed into the harness of a plow and waited calmly for him to be hooked up. You see, it responded to a simple voice command. His neighbor strenuously objected. What are you talking about? You said all you had to do was to talk to it, but you hit it with a stick. What do you mean you just command your animal with words? That's not what I saw. Oh, that, said the farmer. Well, first I have to get the mule's attention. It's a painful story. It's painful because I wonder, for me, how often God has to get my attention. To get my attention to help redirect me in the path that I'm called to follow. Does God need that proverbial stick to get your attention at times? Do you ever get so busy doing the routines of your religion that God has to do something dramatic for you to notice God's spirit leading you in a different direction? In the apostle Paul's case, a flash of light knocks him to his knees. At that moment, Saul recognized his broken spirit and asked the transformational question. Who are you, Lord? The question is personal. When Jesus answered, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, Saul realized this was not the God he had known, nor the God that he sought to serve. God, until this moment, had been a list of do's and don'ts and good theology. In one transformational moment, 
in one moment. Saul encountered the God he was seeking in the person of Jesus, and it changed everything, even his name. Saul had heard the testimonies of those who followed this Jesus as he arrested and persecuted the followers of the way. They had offered moment after moment who this Jesus was in their witness. Our story today suggests Saul at that moment knew exactly that everything he had heard from the eyewitnesses were true. And he woke up and he changed his direction. And the rest is our history. So friends, is your faith and the way you practice it leading you to a deeper personal relationship with God? It's the question that we all must answer. Not only once, but probably a question we need to wrestle with every day. Because the more we learn about God, the more we discover there's more to learn. More to learn about the important mission the church is called to carry out. Church, just when I think I have God figured out, God's spirit reminds me I don't have God figured out at all. Because the created won't fully understand the creator. The finite will never completely comprehend the infinite. So we must muster our faith at times and take that first step towards God, often blindly falling as the spirit leads. Jesus told Saul, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Saul had to trust Jesus enough to put his life in the hands of those whom he had been persecuting. That took faith, a transformed faith. Because remember, faith is not true faith until it produces transformation. And the most significant sign of this transformation is a willingness to follow God's leading. Our problem can be when we are content with only a little transformation or a little grace. Yet God desires far more. Lest we begin to resemble what author and pastor Wilbert Reese wrote about in his devotional, $3 worth of gold, I offer you his words. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal. Just put it in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. No, 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 not the flesh and blood one. He will keep me from my appointment with the hairdresser or make me late for the cocktail party. He will soil my linen and break my strand of matching pearls. 
I can't put up with the pundits from Persia or sweaty shepherds trampling all over my nylon carpet with their muddy feet. My name isn't Mary, you know. I want no living, breathing Christ, but one I can keep in its crib with a rubber band. The plastic one will do just fine. The plastic one is not the one that keeps coming to us and inviting us to keep waking up, to keep turning and facing towards God's leading. The gifts of grace and hope and true purpose are ours to have, my friends, if we would stay awake and seek a relationship with God beyond our religion that often is safe, predictable, and comfortable. This means, of course, an adjustment to the direction we're going, a directional change to align ourselves to where God longs to lead us. Meeting House Church, let us commit to this as we seek to be the church on mission together. First, our personal relationship with God. Second, to follow the call as God leads. And third, to watch for what God will do in and through us, here, there, and around the world. Amen? Amen. God, we ask that you would help us to seek you in the truest sense of the way you have revealed yourself to us. Not the way we want you to be or we transform you to be or not that comfortable one that just makes a lot of sense to us, but the one that is calling to us, the, the creator of the universe, the creator of who we are. As we say often, help us to be more than just hearers of your word, but followers, for we pray this in your name. Amen.